Hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're with us today. If you're new, maybe on campus, maybe new with us online, my name is Trent. And today we're in part three of our series that you just saw in that bumper video called Unbelievable. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring some of the unbelievable parts of the Easter story. And we started several weeks ago looking at the unbelievable Easter week, and we started with Palm Sunday, and we saw that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday to people hailing him as King of the Jews. And just a few days later, some of those same people would demand his crucifixion. And we found out in that message that Jesus would then go on to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be accused of things that he didn't do. He would be beaten, he would be whipped, and he would be crucified without defending himself. And scripture teaches he did all of that because of his great love for us. He did that so that he could take our sin on himself and pay our sin debt so that we could have eternal life. And we found that is unbelievable. Last week, we explored the reality of Christ's resurrection. And we looked at the reality that after his death, that his disciples said, no, he's alive. He is not in the grave anymore. He's alive. And they went around telling everybody about that. And some of the people back then and some of the people today still say, you know what? That is so unbelievable. Christ rose from the grave, making it possible for me to have eternal life. Others of us say, you know what? I don't know that that's believable. I'm not sure that that really happened. So last week we explored four pieces of evidence that help point towards the reality of the resurrection. And I hope that that evidence was helpful to you wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. And last week there were a lot of decisions made around that evidence that we talked about. I actually asked all of us on campus and online what you would do with the evidence that was presented to you. And last week, we had 83 people that they said, listen, I'm coming back to God after a season away from him. And we had 26 people say, you know what, I'm going to commit to diving deeper into some of the resources that I suggested on our spiritual growth challenge to help people dig deeper in the reality of Christ's resurrection so those people could make a decision for him. So 26 people said, I'm going to do that. Then we had 21 people that said last week they are putting their faith in Jesus because of the evidence of his resurrection. So there were a lot of decisions last week on our Easter services for people um, taking a big step towards or with God. And I'm so grateful for those decisions that were made and want you to know that our elders and our prayer team, we've been praying for you this week in whatever decision that you have made. Now, last week, we were also scheduled to have a baptism. And we had around 30 people that signed up to be baptized. And if you remember the weather last week, we decided that we were going to hold that off. And so we rescheduled that for today. Well, since last week up to today, uh, we've gathered a few more folks that are going to be baptized. So we have 40 people that are going to be baptized today. And uh, super excited for them. And so what I ask is for you to come and celebrate with them. We'll be down in Flagler Beach at 16th Street North. And so if you just drive down to Flagler Beach, you hit A1A, turn north. For those of you who are directionally challenged, turn left. 
Okay, keep the ocean on your right. As you're going up, on the right-hand side, you'll find us up there. We'll have some signs out there, and there'll, there'll be a whole bunch of cars right there at 16th Street North. Come and celebrate those who are taking that step of baptism, proclaiming before God in the world the decision that they've made to follow Jesus. So I hope that you'll be with us this afternoon for that. Now, before we dive into today, I'm just curious, how many of you remember at least one of the pieces of evidence that we looked at last week for proof of the resurrection. All right, so let me hear some of those. What are some of those? Empty tomb. Empty tomb. That is great, Ben, but we didn't actually talk about that last week. So <laughs> that's like extra credit, maybe, sort of. The conversion of early skeptics. Conversion of early skeptics. That was number four. Radical, Radical change in his disciples. That was number two. Jesus predicted it. That was number one. And the early teaching of Christianity. That was number three. That's awesome. Great. Good job, everybody. All right. So here they are. You didn't know you were going to have a pop quiz today, but thank you for paying attention last week. Okay. So the evidence that we looked at last week for the resurrection, number one, what Jesus predicted would happen to him. So Jesus told his disciples regularly that he would be betrayed, he would be arrested, he would be handed over to the religious leaders and he would be mocked, he would be accused of things that he didn't do, he would later be handed over to the Romans who would then whip him, beat him and crucify him. He told his disciples that so often, I think they got a little too familiar with it. Early on, they were confused by it, they were saddened by it, and then later, I think they heard it so much to the point that on that first Thursday of Easter week when Jesus instituted communion, his disciples, after Jesus reminded them again, hey guys, this is what's about to happen to me, they started arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was gonna be the greatest disciple of all time. So again, there were times they were sad about that news that, that Jesus shared, and then there were times they just completely ignored it. But everything Jesus predicted happened exactly as he predicted it. That is a really big deal. Number two, we looked at the radical change in Jesus' disciples. So before his resurrection, after his crucifixion, his disciples were confused. They were lost. They were desperate. They didn't know what to do. But after his resurrection, there was a radical change in how they interacted with the world. They became bold and fearless in their faith, and most of them died for their faith in Jesus. Number three, we looked at the early teachings of Christianity that happened, that developed right after Christ's resurrection. So those early teachings centered on three things. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, he died for our sins. And number three, he rose from the grave. Those are the same core teachings of Christianity 2,000 years later. So right after Christ's resurrection, the early New Testament church was known as the resurrection religion because of those teachings. And then number four, we looked at the conversion of early skeptics. We explored Paul's story and James' story. So Paul, before becoming Paul, was Saul. And Saul was a real religious leader who hated Christ, who hated Christ's followers. And he made it his mission to stomp out Christianity around the world until he met the resurrected Jesus. And after he met Jesus, his life was radically changed. He became a Christ follower, and then he committed the rest of his life to telling everybody about the grace of God, and he wrote much of the New Testament part of the Bible and church history teaches he died for his faith 
in Jesus. And then we looked at the story of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And I said last week, none of us would believe that any of our siblings are the Messiah either. He didn't believe that until after Christ's resurrection, because Christ revealed himself to James. And James became a follower of Jesus and became one of the early New Testament leaders in the New Testament church and laid a great foundation for the church to be built on. So those are the four pieces of evidence that we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at a fifth piece of evidence, and that fifth piece piece of evidence is this, the explosion of Christianity after the resurrection. So before Christ's resurrection, let me remind you, there were no churches. There were no New Testament churches. There were no Christians. Everyone had abandoned Christ But after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples multiple times and proved to them that he was indeed alive. And right after that, the New Testament church exploded and many people became Christ followers. And this is how that happened. So again, like we said last week, there was a radical change in his disciples after his resurrection. And in Acts chapter two, it talks about the apostle Peter and the boldness that he had after seeing the risen savior. And he boldly preached to thousands of people. And right at the end of his sermon, verse 36 of Acts chapter two says this. He said, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll go on in just a minute to find out the results of that sermon But let me pause for just a second because we have to chase a rabbit today. Um, And this is a big rabbit that we have to catch because this is a really big deal found in this verse right here. So there are some that interpret Peter's words when he says you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. There are some that interpret that means you have to be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins. That if you put your faith in Jesus, but you're not baptized, that you're not saved. There's some people interpret that based upon this verse. But let's dive into that just a little bit because that's inconsistent with what everything else the New Testament says about salvation and baptism, okay? So we gotta look at this word for. So this word for in the New Testament is the Greek word eis, E-I-S, and it can mean as a result of or because of. So in light of that, if you look back at that verse and read that with that definition in that context, you could say, be baptized as a result of the forgiveness of your sins, or be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. I think that is so incredibly important for us to understand, because if we don't understand that, we add something to salvation that was not meant to be added. So when it comes to salvation, we cannot add anything to salvation except belief in Jesus alone, period, period. We can't say, well, you're saved if you believe in Jesus and you live a really good life. Scripture doesn't back that up. We can't say, well, you're saved if you believe in Jesus and then you're baptized. That's inconsistent with a number of other passages in Scripture that talk about, again, the separation between salvation 
and baptism. Salvation is a decision that we make to make Jesus our personal Lord and Savior. That's a decision that 21 people made last week. Baptism is when we proclaim that before God in the world, the decision that we've made to follow Jesus. Again, those are separate things, separate events. We cannot confuse them. We cannot mix them. Sometimes people mix them, and they think, I'm going to go be baptized, and that means I'll be saved. If you have not had a moment of deciding to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, and then you go get baptized, all you're doing is getting wet. That's it. It will do nothing for you for all of eternity. It's super important for us to understand that, because sometimes we get that mixed up. So again, should we be baptized? Absolutely, we should be baptized. Why? as a result of the forgiveness of our sins. It's a way that we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When we go under the water, it's symbolic of us dying to our old lives. When we come out of the water, it's symbolic of us being raised to new life in Christ just as Christ was resurrected. So again, we've got to make sure that we understand the separation between those two things. They are connected eternally, yes, but we cannot confuse one for the other. I hope that that is clear. All right, so listen to what happened in verse 41. Verse 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So after Peter's first sermon, all right, the guy who denied Jesus three times before his crucifixion, Peter preached and 3,000 put their faith in Jesus and were added to the church after that sermon. That is unbelievable. So that created an explosion of faith, and Christianity was born because people were convinced they had seen Jesus resurrected, and they were convinced that Jesus actually did rise from the grave. Then verse 42 tells us what those early New Testament church followers did. Verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Anybody ever experienced church like that before? Wow, that's sad. You see, none of us have our hands up. It's kind of a sad statement of the condition of the church today, isn't it? But I think that's what God intended. I think that's what God intended for his followers and how his followers should live. So he intended for us to devote ourselves, just like they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And where did the apostles learn their teachings from? Jesus, yes, not a, not a trick question there, Jesus. So they learned it from Jesus. So what were they telling everybody? Jesus' teachings. They devoted themselves to Jesus' teachings, to spending time together at church and in each other's homes. They, they devoted themselves to praying for each other and serving each other. And that was so attractive. That was so radically different. Thousands of people outside the church wanted to be inside the church. Does that sound different? than kind of how people view the church today. It sounds a little different today. Um, 
how are Christ followers and churches viewed by our world today? As hypocrites? As hypocrites? Yeah, we're, we're known as hypocrites. Anybody else? Judgmental? Wackos? Yep, yep. There's a few of us wackos in here, I think. Yeah, so you know, you think about how the world views church and views Christianity today. Often, uh, when someone outside of the church has a need, a physical need, emotional need, a spiritual need, the last place they think to turn would be the church. Like, that's, that should be wrong. Like, like, we should, as a Christ follower, as churches, we should never allow that thought to happen. Like, we should respond to people in their moments of need. And if you aren't a Christ follower... Maybe the reason you aren't a Christ follower is because of how you've been treated by some Christ followers. Or maybe you went to church one time and you had a really bad experience. And, and if that's the case, I am so sorry because that's not what God intended. God intended his church to be so caring and so attractive to people outside of the faith that people outside the faith would want to be a part of the faith because of what was happening inside those Circle. So if that's happened to you, I'm, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. And I hope that, that we can change your perspective of the church because God wants his church to represent him well to the world. He wants us to be devoted to the things that the early New Testament church were devoted to, learning and applying the teachings of Jesus, to prayer, to serving each other, to meeting together. And for us to get there, I think we have a lot of work to do. So here's some things that I recommend that we could do to become more like that early New Testament church. So the first thing is this. We need to commit to learning and applying the teachings of Jesus. So we should commit to learn and apply the teachings of Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, you might write next to your notes, uh, no, duh, Trent, like you're the master of the obvious. Like that should be so basic, right? If we're followers of Jesus, what should we do? We should apply the teachings of Jesus. Like we should actually follow Jesus. But you see, I grew up in church world. And what, what I learned as I grew up in church world was uh, it is super spiritual to learn a bunch of information and look like you're a follower of Jesus but you don't necessarily have to apply it. When I was growing up in church world, um, most often we would define spiritual maturity by how much of the Bible you knew and how long you've known it. If you knew a lot about the Bible, you've known it a long time, we would say, oh, that person is spiritually mature. But that's not how God defines spiritual maturity. He defines how much do you know and how much do you apply? When you learn this much, we should apply this much. When we learn a little bit more, we should apply a little bit more. From God's perspective, that is spiritual maturity and how we are growing in spiritual maturity. And what he asks of us is actually to apply what we are learning. So there have been many times in my life where I knew way more than I was applying. And what was I in those moments? I was the hypocrite because I knew a lot. I wasn't applying a lot. So one of the first things we have to do is actually commit to learning and applying what we're learning about Jesus. If you're new to faith, uh, you might wonder, well, how can I learn more about Jesus and how can I apply that to my life? And here's some simple ways that you can do that. The first simple way is to attend church weekly. 
So again, that's another one of those, uh, no duh, Trent, like, you know, uh, if you're looking for anything like, uh, like crazy new this morning, you're probably not going to hear it today. Um, so just get prepared for that. So attend church weekly. So those early believers devoted themselves to meeting for church services constantly. That was their consistent pattern of life. That was something they made a priority over everything else in their lives. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about church attendance. I'm not. Jesus would never do that. We should never do that either. But if we really want to learn the teachings of Jesus, where should we be? In an environment where the church teaches these things. Now, does every church teach this stuff? Not every church does. But we should be in environments where we're taught about how to follow Jesus and how to apply that to our lives. And if we don't attend regularly, then we lose traction. You know, if we attend occasionally, we lose the traction that we're trying to gain, and then we fall back a little bit, and then it's a little bit harder to, to gain that again, and we, we do this two steps forward, one step back dance for, for far too long. And something as simple as regular church attendance can help us grow in applying and learning uh, about the teachings of Jesus. Another way we can learn and apply the teachings of Jesus is through our spiritual growth challenge. Now, if you're new, our Spiritual Growth Challenge is just a one-page document that we make available each week. It, there's a copy in the lobby. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section. And again, it's just a one-page document that helps us dive deeper in what we're learning on Sunday. There's a Bible reading plan. There's a question. There's a list of questions for personal reflection. There's a list of questions there that you can also use with a group of other people, maybe your family, maybe coworkers, maybe a small group that you're part of. Uh, there's some action steps to apply what we are learning. It's a great tool for us to, to use to apply what we're learning on Sunday. So again, I recommend you, you pick up a copy of our Spiritual Growth Challenge and use that on a consistent basis. So those, those are just a few ways that we can learn the teachings of Jesus and how to apply those to our lives. Now, another way for us to learn how to be like the early New Testament church and learn to apply the teachings of Jesus is to commit to a small group. So those early Christians consistently met together at church and in each other's homes. They created small groups to discuss what they were learning, how to apply that, how to meet together and meet each other's needs, and they prayed for each other. And I believe they did that because they understood spiritual growth happens best in groups. Spiritual growth happens best in groups. So if you think about some of the teachings of Jesus, like love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, those things cannot be done without a one another or other people that you're around, right? We can't apply those things if we don't have other people around us to apply those things. Um, sometimes we can deceive ourselves and you know, read scripture and think we're applying it because we're reading it and thinking about it. And then when we get around other people where we're actually supposed to apply it, and if we're not loving, guess what? We're not applying what we're learning. So we have to be around other people to apply the teachings of Jesus. And committing to a small group of other people can actually help us grow spiritually. Now, I'm sure that some of you are thinking the same thing that I thought 27 years ago when I heard a pastor challenge me to commit to a small group. You're probably thinking, well, I don't want to go sit in a small group and have all these people that I don't know hear stuff about me. Like, I don't want to do that. 
Anybody else think that? You're probably not going to raise your hand right now because who wants to admit that in church, right? So I'll raise my hand for you. Okay, so that's what I thought 27 years ago. 27 years ago, I attended a church and they had small groups and they were challenging uh, me and my wife to, to attend a small group. I said, no, we're not going to do that. And uh, I'm not very persuasive because my wife and I went to a couples group shortly after that. And on our drive home from our couples group, uh, I'm driving and I, I spoke to Tammy and I said, Tammy, listen, you talked way too much about us tonight <laughs> in front of a whole bunch of people that we don't know. So here's the plan. We're not going back. And if we do, you're not going to talk about us anymore. Again, I'm not very persuasive because we went back and my wife continued to talk about us. What I learned over time is that I cannot grow spiritually without a small group of people around me who help me grow. It's just not possible. So for 26, 27 years, I have committed myself to small groups to different small groups that help me grow spiritually. I've been in couples groups, I've been in men's groups, and the group right now that's helping me grow spiritually is my men's group. And we meet weekly, and we talk about what we're, we're learning on Sundays. We read scripture together. Some days we, we get through a whole chapter of the Bible, some days we get through a, a few verses, and there are many days we get through one verse. And our guys say, are we ever gonna get through this chapter? And I say, that's not the point. The point is not to get through the chapter. The point is to allow the chapter to get through us. And so we got to slow down. So if it just takes you know, a whole hour to get through one verse, like that's okay. Because we have some very rich conversations about application, about how we can apply what we are learning together. And I'm so grateful for those men because they're helping me grow spiritually. And we pray for each other. We serve each other in any way that we can. And it's a super beneficial experience, again, that I've been a part of for a long time. So if you're not a part of a small group, you're missing out. You're missing out on a part of what God designed the church family to be like because that helps us grow spiritually. Again, I think we grow best in groups. One of the amazing benefits of being in a group is being able to be prayed for and to serve other people to pray for each other and to serve each other. Again, the, the early New Testament church devoted themselves to Jesus' teachings, to meeting at church and in homes, and to praying and serving each other. And it, it's so crazy. They were so connected with each other. They understood each other's needs so much, they sold their belongings to help each other. Like, they sold stuff on Facebook Marketplace, I'm sure, just so they could serve other group members who were in need. Again, I think that's an amazing picture of the church in action. So again, if you're not in a small group, I think there's a chance you'll fall through the cracks. I don't want that to happen. If you have a need or there's a crisis in your life, I want you to be so connected that people can jump instantly into your life and help serve. Why? Because they know you. They know your needs. They know how to help you in those moments. And you know how to help other people. And if you're a part of our church family, we want to make sure that you're prayed for. We want to make sure that you're cared for. And even if you're not a part of our church family, we want those things for you. But we found that we do those things best through groups. So again, if you're not in a group, I challenge you to get into a group. We have a lot of group options here at Epic. We have some short-term growth groups. 
And they are just short-term experiences in group world that help you grow spiritually. We have one called Starting Point, and that's for people who are new to faith, exploring faith, or returning to faith. It's an eight-week conversational environment where you will hear the overarching story of God found in the Bible. And it's an amazing experience. I highly recommend anybody who's not taken Starting Point to start there. Uh, for others, we have a growth group called 40 Days in Prayer to teach people how to pray, how to talk to God on a regular basis. Sometimes we make that so confusing and so intimidating, and God never meant for that. He meant it for it to be a conversation between two people who know each other and love each other. And so you can learn those things in 40 Days of Prayer. Then we have 40 Days in the Word to teach people how to read the Bible and, you know, if, if you're new to the Bible, you might think, well, hey, let me start at the beginning. Let me, you know, like you would start in any book, and you would start reading. And by the fifth book of the, new, or the Old Testament, you'd be scratching your head saying, like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Like, I am lost. So you can learn the framework of the Bible, how the Bible was put together so it'll help you understand it more so we can apply it to our lives. We've got a, a growth group called Financial Peace University to teach people how to apply their, their finances and biblical principles to their finances to operate their finances in God-honoring ways. We've got parenting small groups. We've got a small group for how to share your faith. We've got a lot of great short-term growth groups that can just help you tip your toe in what community should be like here at Epic. In addition to that, we have community groups. We have men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, and we've got young adult groups. Again, these are, there's a young adult leader right there. We've got some groups, and they're designed to help us devote ourselves to learning and applying the teachings of Jesus, to meeting together regularly, praying for each other, and serving each other on a consistent basis, just like the early New Testament church did. They were devoted to those things. That's the purpose of our community groups so that we don't fall through the cracks when we have a need in our lives. I'm just curious. Anybody ever have a need in your life before? Anybody ever? Okay. Uh, whether you have one now or not, you will. And as that need comes, what we want is people around you to serve you in that time of need. And our community groups are great environments for that. So again, I hope if you're not in a group, you'll get in a group. And you can check out our groups at our groups table before you leave today, just in the lobby on the left-hand side. You can just pause there and just explore some of the group options that we have, and I hope that you will do that. So the early New Testament church experienced unbelievable growth numerically and spiritually because they devoted themselves to Jesus' teachings, to meeting in groups, to praying, and serving each other. And as we close, I just ask you to imagine, like, what could happen in our lives? What could happen in our community if we devoted ourselves to the same things? If we were just as committed to those things as the early New Testament church was? Like, what could happen? What could happen if people outside the church, you know, learned, like, hey, we pray for each other. Like, we serve each other on a consistent basis. Like, I truly believe that we could become a place that's so attractive People outside of the faith want to become a part of the faith. And maybe they'd say, like, I never thought I would ever want to experience church in my life, but I'm so attracted to what I see. I, I can't help but be curious. I can't help but want to step towards what I see is going on over at that place called Epic. I think 
Thousands of people in our community could be radically changed for Jesus and for all of eternity if we devoted ourselves to the same things that the early New Testament church devoted themselves to. So if you're a Christ follower, are you devoted to those things? If you are, I think you'll grow spiritually. If you aren't, I think you'll struggle to grow spiritually until you get to a spot where you say, you know what, I've got to devote myself to these things that are going to help me grow spiritually. As we close, our worship team is going to guide us through a song about the blessings of God. And as we sing this song, I really encourage you to just think about the things that you're devoted to as a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, what are those things that you've devoted yourself to and do they align with what the early New Testament church devoted themselves to? So just ponder what you're devoted to as a follower of Jesus. And then just think, like, how could we as a church be so devoted to those things that we, we're not just about doing church, but we actually become the church in action for each other and for our community? Because I think the church should be one of the blessings that we experience as followers of God. That's not always the case today. But I think it should be the case. And I think that if we devote ourselves to those same things that the early New Testament church did, I think we can experience that today. So if you would, stand with me. Let's pray, then let's sing. God, it's unbelievable to see that explosion of faith right after your resurrection Lord, it's unbelievable to see the explosion of the New Testament church and, and how Christianity was born because of the things that those early Christians devoted themselves to. They were devoted to your teachings, not just learning your teachings, but applying them. They were devoted to meeting together in church services and in each other's homes. They were devoted to praying for each other. They were devoted to serving each other. Lord, those things could radically change our lives individually and could radically change our community and beyond. So Lord, I think as, as we're learning about these unbelievable parts of the Easter story, like I think you're calling us back to those early days. I think you're calling us to devote ourselves to those same things. And Lord, I truly believe if we do, we'll experience an abundance of blessings. Lord, I think we'll experience so much blessing that people outside of our faith will want to be a part of our faith. There'll be something so attractive in how we live and how we love and how we care for each other. So Lord, I pray that we would devote ourselves to those things. Lord, I pray that we would experience that that life transformation in what you intended your church to be like and how you intended us to live. Lord, I pray that, that we wouldn't just get wrapped up in doing church. We would be involved in being the church for each other and for our community. And I know, God, that as we do that, you will bless us abundantly. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.